Jean. Acts 19, okay? Acts chapter 19, but we won't, okay? But we won't. Acts chapter 19, let's, uh, let's look tonight. Uh, we're going to look in beginning in verse number, uh, let's see, let's start in verse number 8, all right? Uh, and he went into the synagogue, speaking of Paul, remember he's in Ephesus now. He, he just uh, led those 12 people and, and taught them about who Jesus Christ is. They were, they've been baptized in the name of Christ, they've been, uh, they received the Holy Spirit, and, and he gets to what he's doing in Ephesus now. And Paul had quite a ministry in Ephesus. It says in verse 8, He went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Why don't we stop there and uh, we'll have a word of prayer and we'll look at uh, on down to verse 20 throughout the message. Father, I pray tonight that you would minister to us and uh, speak to us from the, from the word of God. May, may your word help us tonight. I, I want to deal with the subject of piercing the darkness. Piercing the darkness. And I pray as we look at this portion of scripture as we journey through the book of Acts that you would uh, use it tonight to equip us, to help us, to encourage us, to motivate us. Lord, whatever it is we need, I pray that you may minister to us tonight, that we enjoy our time in the house of the Lord, that we magnify your name and we praise you for all of your greatness because anything is possible with the Lord. You can use every one of us in here and if you just use every one of us to reach one person, my goodness, we would, we would double. We would double as far as the church goes in, in uh, the, the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and we just pray, Father, that, or the kingdom of God, and we just pray that you might minister to us tonight and uh, use your word and use me, Father, to deliver it and preach it in a way, God, that is recept easy to receive and, uh, Lord, just uh, moves us in our spiritual walk with you. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Let me get a drink of water. So Ephesus here was a very strategic location in Asia Minor. Earlier it was in Corinth in chapter 18. That's in Achaia. We know it today as Greece. Uh, he went back to Jerusalem, went back to Antioch. He's now on his third missionary journey. And he, he returned to Ephesus where he was at the end of chapter 18. And uh, God is doing some things there. Ephesus is located in what is today known as Turkey, which is uh, and it's a very central strategic location in Asia Minor. Uh, Kent Hughes described it as the treasure house of Asia and the mother of materialism and ambition. It was, um, it was a very large city. Uh, it was a very important trade route that went through there. And so Paul saw it as an opportunity. In 1 Corinthians 16, he mentions it as a place where there is a great door opened, but there are many adversaries. So in other words, it was not going to be easy to minister to the Lord there. 
And I would say this, where is it easy to minister to the Lord, okay? But Paul is, there's an opportunity here from the minister. It was the, Ephesus was the site of the temple of Diana, and uh, which was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Because it was this enormous, elaborate uh, uh, place of, of worship. It was, it measured 425 feet long. All right, 425 feet long. Do you know how many feet are in a football field? Clay? 300, there you go. Three times 100. 100 yards, three feet in the yard, 300 feet. I'm going to hear it from him tonight. All right, 300, 300 feet in a football field. A 100-yard football field is 300 feet. It was 425 feet, so it was longer than a football field. It was 200 feet wide, and a football field is, uh, I think, 53 yards, I believe, wide, 150-plus feet wide. It's 200 feet. It, it, it goes into the stands on both sides, all right? It's this enormous building. The, the ceilings reached 60 feet high. And they had, it was very elaborate to look at. And it had 127 columns, pillars, holding up the ceiling 60 feet high. These enormous columns. And inside of it, they had, uh, they had the, um, it was the, how do I want to put this tactfully? It's not a very good way. There was an image of Diana that supposedly fell from the stars. And they placed that image inside this enormous, elaborate place of worship. It was a, it was a place where Diana would be a fertility goddess. So it's, you can imagine the worship that is related to that place. In a place the size of Ephesus, you, you have a very multicultural, multi-ethnic place. Therefore, you have a lot of religions. It is a place filled with occults. It is a place filled with various forms of worship. When I, when I think about it, when I read about it, I, my mind goes to New York City. You could really put any large city in that category. You could probably put San Francisco in that category. Um, where just anything goes. Uh, I love New York City for all of the buildings and its uniqueness. But I'm going to tell you something. You see a lot of things you wish you never would have seen. It just, um, uh, the last time we were there, we were walking. It's better to go in the wintertime because people wear much less clothes in the summertime. You can picture that, Okay. There was, there was a gentleman holding his clothes, walking down the sidewalk in his underwear. That, that is, that, people didn't think that was strange. I'm from Alabama. I think that's pretty strange. Um, you, it's, it's very unique. I mean, you can imagine in Paul's day if people sees a structure that big, the, the temple of Diana, and just people would go there and see that, and they think, wow, that is amazing. 
It's like, it's like going to New York City and seeing the tall skyscrapers and, and the, the architecture and the facilities, and it's just amazing, right? But the culture itself is godless and going to hell. Amen? And so Paul sees this as is something that stirs him, it presses in his spirit, and he sees it as an opportunity to minister. And doing so, it is a very dark place. But Paul ends up spending more time in Ephesus, and perhaps his most fruitful ministry in this place of darkness, as we see here in this passage. Now, we see in verse number 8 through 12, we see darkness under attack. Now, let's read this again, okay, and let's break it down. He went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months. All right? That is longer than he's ever been allowed to stay in a synagogue. I'll give that for him. He, they, they allowed him to stay for three months, going in there weekly, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. I realize this, not everyone is as bold as the Apostle Paul. I recognize that, but we sure do need a whole lot more bold people in the world today, don't we? As far as in the church and Christianity, we need some people who are bold and confident in their faith and their understanding of the word of God and just look for an opportunity. We, we need more of that today. And so he's disputing, he's persuading. Finally, in verse 9, they have had enough. Those who have chosen to not believe, they begin to speak evil of that way before the multitude. Same, same story, just different city. It's the same thing he's run into many times. They, people just don't want anything to do with it. They, they decide they don't want anything to do with it. Listen, 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 listen. All right? If we're at the point where we are piercing darkness, you're going to upset some people. Amen? You're going to upset some people. There, there's going to be people that you've never seen. Yes, Pastor Ricky gets emails from people that I could not pick out of a crowd. Ugly, hateful emails that are sent because they can find me on a website and they send me ugly, hateful emails and I've never seen these people before. All right? You, when, you're, when you are invading the devil's kingdom, it's going to stir some things up. All right? And so there it is. It's, he, he is there. They're speaking evil of him. And we have seen this throughout Christianity. They will speak evil of his way. They'll doubt they will make up things. They will start telling lies. They will tell things to stir up a crowd and get people to want to really just keep him quiet. And it says in uh, verse 9, he departed from them. He, he separated the disciples he disputed daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Now, get this right here. Tyrannus means tyrant. If God can use the school of a tyrant, God can use any place to get the gospel out. That's what I want you to get, all right? So they, they tell us, historians tell us this, that basically what it, the way it worked out is the people went to work from 7 to 11, they took a siesta from 11 to 4, and then from, they worked again from 4 to 9.30. That's a long day. Now, when you read in uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 34 and 35, what you find there is Paul worked. Paul worked with his hands while he was there. 
You can read that, 34 and 35, Acts chapter 20. He worked with his hands, and he was an example of those who labored while he's also sharing the gospel. So, so think of it like this. He's working from 7 to 11. From 11 to 4, he goes to the school of Tyrannus, and he's teaching the Bible. He's answering questions. He's presenting the gospel. He is ministering. He's doing all of these things, and then goes back to work from 4 to 9.30. That's a pretty long day, wouldn't you think? That's a pretty long day. But look, look at the fruit of what takes place. It says in verse 10, This continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. My point is this. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who builds his church. Amen? Amen, Pastor Ricky. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who builds his church. But I'm going to tell you something, we've got to be after it for him to be able to build it, for him to build it, use us in in building it. Can I get amen there? I hope I said that clearly. I don't want you to take that the wrong. It's Jesus Christ who builds his church, but we have no right to be lazy and just expect him to do it. we're We're not engaging people. So he says there, that all of these people, I want you to look at the, toward the end of the chapter. We'll get in this the next message, but look in verse 26. Some of those people who are stirred up speak, testify in verse 26. Moreover, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying, They be no gods which are made with hands. I mean, his, his, his ministry is effective. Even those who stand up against him will say he is reaching people. All right? So, he's, didn't you see something unique in verse 11 and verse 12? It says, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. God used him. He does this throughout. Uh, God, there's, you find different periods where God does great miracles. He used Moses to do miracles there in Egypt. He used Elijah and Elisha to do great miracles in Israel. And then you find in Jesus' day and through the apostles, he did great miracles. Um, he, he does this. We see this many times show up in the book of Acts where God does something unique and special with these individuals. And we see in verse 11, God used him. In Acts 6, we see where, Paul, where, where the Lord did that with Stephen. In Acts 8, he did that with Philip. In Acts 9, he did that with Peter when he raised Lydia from the dead. So God did spirit special miracles. And then you get to verse 12. And it says, so that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, we've all seen the present-day occultists who will teach a false gospel and for $15, they'll send you a prayer cloth. We've all seen that, right? Now, what he's, what he's speaking of there is literally it is sweat cloths. And it, may, it got me to thinking. Paul was a tent maker. I, was, I did construction work. And in the summer, Cecil Berry, I've always got a towel, just a hand towel, all right? I had a few hand towels that I carried to work with me every day. And I usually wet them and uh, put them around my neck and the water would just drip off to try to keep me cool. And I would uh, take it throughout the day and uh, I would rub my face and it would be filthy, dirty when I got home. I did not use the kitchen towel. 
Right, Miss Christie? I did not use a kitchen towel. Right now I'm using a kitchen towel. All right? But I'm not sweating yet. So he, he has this sweat cloth. And people would get those sweat cloths. And they would carry them to the sick. And they, they, so that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And the diseases parted from them. And the evil spirits went out of them. I mean, God did something unique there. All right? Did something unique. And, and uh, he, through these, through these sweat cloths, it, uh, it touched them. The diseases departed completely from them. Evil spirits completely left them. I, I, I'm going I'm to tell you something. I mean, wherever Jesus went, Jesus could heal anybody. Amen? And uh, people would bring their sick unto him, and, and, and he would heal them. And uh, we, we see here God's using Paul to do something very similar there. And through that, we see darkness and confusion beginning in verse 13. All right? Because people are witnessing this, and they begin to think, you know, I believe I can do that. All right? So it says there in verse 13 that there's vagabond, uh, there's certain vagabond Jews, exorcists that are described in verse 13, who took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, get this. These people don't know Jesus. They're not believers. They are not Christians. They are not saved. But they know that there is something about the name of Jesus because they have seen Paul do miracles. And as we've seen throughout Acts, there are times where people are watching this and they're saying, I believe I can do that. I would like that power to be able to do that. People love power. People love power. And people love to have a name. That's natural uh, that's natural man. They love to make a name for themselves. They love to have a crowd. They love to have a following. And, and so Paul is doing this in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is working through him. He's doing special miracles, doing special things, special signs. And I'm thinking that through this, he's in this place in Ephesus where there's this occult, and people are drawn to the occult. They're, they're obviously involved in witchcraft and sorceries. As we're going to see here, that is something that is very familiar to them. And so God uses him to show his power through Paul. And there's these Jews. And they say, well, we can do that. We're going to use the name of Jesus ourselves." And so they go to those who are, have evil spirits, demon-possessed. And they say at the end of verse 13, we adjure you, we charge you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. He's a chief priest. He is a Jew. Doesn't believe in Jesus. Doesn't want Jesus being taught in the synagogue anymore. But his seven sons decide that they're going to use this power to reach this man with this evil spirit. And so the seven sons seek to call him out by Jesus whom Paul preached. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, 
and Paul I know, but who are you? Now you can throw your wicked, evil voice in there, demon-possessed voice. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Gil, I heard a message one time years ago. The title of it was from this text, Who in Hell Knows You? It wasn't very good scriptural, but it was a practical application. It wasn't very good to the text. The evil spirit says, I know Jesus, and I am aware of Paul. But who are you to think you have power over me? You can't fake it. You cannot fake it. You might fake it with men, and you might fake it with uh, a testimony. But heaven and hell know exactly who we are. You can't fake it. Verse 16. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. They were pretenders. And this man with an evil spirit is stronger than seven men. Stronger than seven men. Who is not going to play around with them, is not going to play their game. He leaped on them. He overcame them. He prevailed against them. And the next thing they know, all of their clothes have been ripped off. They are wounded and they are running for their life. You can't, you can't be a pretender and make a difference in this world. Lastly, we see darkness in retreat. Watch verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. God used that. And people recognize there's a difference between the real thing and a fake. There's a difference in someone who knows Jesus and someone who doesn't know Jesus. And they see what happens and they, 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 they stand in back and they watch it and they recognize what happened and they hear this testimony and it shakes them up. It moves them to a place where they have to make a decision of some kind. All the Jews and Greeks who were dwelling there, the fear of God came over them. And what does it say at the end of verse 17? The name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. None of us have to magnify our own name. We can't really do anything anyways. It's going to be Jesus who needs to be magnified. Right? Pointing people to Jesus. It's Jesus who has the power 
to heal. It's Jesus who has the power. Everything that Paul did in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he says, rise up and walk. It wasn't Paul's special ability to have strength. When he did perform those miracles, it was God working through him. He can't do that in his own. Paul recognized that. Paul is not trying to draw a crowd and, 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 and draw people to himself. He is pointing people to Jesus Christ. And that is the name that we should always be magnifying, is magnifying Jesus so that when people, when people come to a place where they've got to make a decision, it's him that they turn to. And many that believe, verse 18, came and confessed and showed their deeds. And watch what happens in verse 19. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000. Do you know how much Jesus was sold for? 30 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver. That was what all their library was worth. All of these curious arts. Have you ever noticed, I, I noticed this several years back. I don't go into a bookstore very often. I get everything online now. I, I, I love Kindle. Go into a bookstore and see what is close to the counter. Go to the kids section and see what is closest available. I haven't been there recently, but one of the reasons I quit going is witchcraft is promoted in a big way. That has become very popular in our culture today. And they were interested in that. They were interested in it. Today, we watch movies that have it. We watch television shows, and it's throughout it. We like to sit in the dark, and we watch scary movies about demon possession and all of those things, and we think that's entertainment. People recognize that stuff is real. And not only did they believe, they brought all of their things and they said, I don't need this in my house anymore. I'm burning this and getting rid of it. I'm getting it. I'm getting rid of it. I read of a testimony recently of a, a, a couple who were dabbling with the Jehovah's Witness. They were getting their literature and they were kind of learning things about it. Jehovah's Witness is a cult. It's an occult. They do not believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They will tell you when they come to your house and you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? They'll say, yes, I believe in Jesus. They do not believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is an occult. She's messing with that. She's got all that literature. You know why they come to their house faithfully? Because they're hoping that they are one of the 144,000 that get to heaven. They're hoping they can do good enough. That's why they're so faithful at it. That's why, that's why Doc, when they can't come to your house during COVID, they're writing you letters. 
because COVID isn't going to stop them from sharing the gospel with you. The wife was talking to a Christian, and she came to a place where she realized, this right here is not right, is it? She was looking at enough Bible, she says, this stuff, what I'm learning, is not real. It is not truth. She came to that realization. And he said, I'll tell you what you should do. You should take all the literature you have, and you should throw it in the trash. You should get rid of it. But she wasn't too keen on that idea because she'd collected all of this stuff and it meant something to her. And so she hung on to it. She hung on to it. And it didn't take very long before her and her husband were back and baptized and coming to your door. Why is it? Think about it. Why is it things that we know is wrong? We know it is wrong. Why do we still keep it close by? Why do we do that? Now it's within a touch button, isn't it? Now it's within one channel click. Now it is right there, and rather than get rid of it, maybe it costs us something to have it, but rather than get rid of it, we, we keep it within arm's length. And you know what will happen? What will happen is in our moment of weakness, when we're not where we should be and we're a little discouraged, that is when we click the button. It's not when you're, it's not when you're on fire for the Lord. It's when you come home and you're by yourself and you're discouraged and no one is around and you just think. Just this once won't hurt. It says there in that verse. It says many of them. Also, which use curious arts, brought their books together, burned them before all men. We, we've seen that. We've seen that over the years where they've had book burnings and things. Listen, these people were volunteering what they had. Just throw it on the fire. They counted the price for them. They found that its value was 50,000 pieces of silver, which I'm told would have been 150 men's annual salary. That's a lot of money. But when they did that, what happens in verse 20? So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It's going, it's going to, it'll cost us something when we're seeking to pierce the darkness. When we're trying to get things out of our life and we're trying to walk with the Lord, it's going to cost some things. It's going to, it's going to cost us. We're going to have to get rid of some things. It's going to cost some people are, are not going to like it and they're going to be upset. Just like at the beginning, they say, we don't want no more of this. Get out of here. All right? It'll cost. Sometimes it's going to cost you personally. 
because you've invested in the wrong things. We've invested in the wrong things, and it didn't bother us then, but suddenly we get to a place spiritually where we think, you know what, why am I doing this? This isn't right. And at that moment, we should get rid of it and not keep it within arm's length away so that I can get to it anytime I want to. All God's people said, amen. Let's bow our heads. Okay, let's have pianists.